When we, uh, when we talk about All Saints Day, we recognize um, as Lutherans it's had a little bit of a contentious history. Um, this was something Luther threw out that we put back in. Um, because there's been a lot of contention over what it is a saint is and what the point of them talking about them in the church are. Luther didn't want anything to do with All Saints Day because when he inherited it from the Roman Catholic Church that was in such turmoil, um, there were a lot of problems with it. For one, even just the simple definition of a, a saint. Uh, let's go um, Hebrews 4, 9 to 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall to the same sort of disobedience. Um, when we talk about Sabbath rest, who gets it? Well, you say, how do you know everyone gets it? So, like, just everybody goes to a happy place when they die no matter what? Is that what you're saying? Because, I mean, that's, that's by and large. Okay, see, but... These are the definitions, though, that, that we've, we've argued over. If you were to talk to society at large, um, you can be a complete atheist, but still believe that when your loved one dies, they go to a better place, whatever that is, that just sort of is an embodiment of their idols. And so if they really, really love fishing, to them, heaven is only fishing. No God, but fishing. And though you, you don't believe in anything supernatural, um, once it's somebody you love, all of a sudden the soul becomes a real thing. And so the question is, who gets Sabbath rest and what is Sabbath rest? And this is, this is what we kind of have to argue about. If you were a Roman Catholic, you would say the only people who get Sabbath rest immediately after dying are those who have done such uh, an amount of good works that they don't go to purgatory. They have done so many good works that they, they literally pass go collect $200. Um, there's nothing left for them to um, atone for. There, there's nothing left that needs to be purged from them. And so they, they immediately enter rest. And because they have done such a good thing, their um, good works are actually available for you um, to, well, buy um, if you can afford it. And so you can buy, for example, a mass or, um, or, or, or an indulgence that, that would actually be a portion of that particular saint's good work. And so to the Roman Catholic Church, the saints are not everybody. The saints are the select few who have actually managed to pass purgatory completely. And what? Well, it has to be decided later. After they die, there, there's a tribunal that meets that um, generally goes over the life. Um, they, they look for, I believe it's still three supernatural events, um, in addition to, um, genuine, uh, to, to generally weighing their, their, their work and character. Um, those who are, are deemed to have then tremendous work and character and who it can be proved have done, I, I believe it is, three um, supernatural miracles of some sort, um, are then called saints. So, um, like, if you want to go through it, uh, Mother Teresa was fairly recently sainted. Uh, John Paul II, I believe, has two. Um, and so, um, this isn't then something I can say, you saints of Christ, because, first of all, y'all sin too much, and I know it, um, so I'm going to speak against you at your tribunal. Um, but, but also, um, what? You're dead. You're not dead yet, so how can you be called a saint? You might still ruin it. And therein lies the fear. You can be called Christian, but you can't be called saint to a Roman Catholic. And this is the, 
the baggage that came with this word that, that Luther um, didn't want. He said, we want nothing to do with the saints because we don't need to pray to them. We don't need to invoke them. We don't need them to go to God on behalf of us, which is something that, that by and large still happens. Is that it's taught to Roman Catholics, you pray um, to Mary and the saints. And so they have saints dedicated to particular things. And so if you're about to go on uh, traveling, is it, is it Andrew who's for traveling? I'm, I'm Christopher, thank you. Um, you would pray to St. Christopher. If um, you, um, Mary's just an old, old, old good one. Um, a lot of this came about... Well, because in, in that time, Jesus was by and large seen as the judge. You, you'll notice as whatever the culture is facing as a whole, God sort of starts to reflect its antidote. And so, um, if you were at a time where there's uh, tremendous plague and uh, tremendous evil on all sides when there was war, um, God starts to reflect its antidote. And so he becomes a very fierce warrior. And so God is, um, in the Middle Ages, portrayed almost entirely as judge, as warrior. Um, now, um, especially as, as our, our culture has by and large settled down into the 20th century, Good Shepherd has come forward as the people are stressed in need of comfort. Um, but if God is only seen as judge during Luther's time, well, where's the love? We need something that's accessible. And so Mary was seen as full of grace and nice. And in the same way that... Um, I knew growing up that if I needed money from my parents, I didn't ask dad because he was financially astute. Um, I would go to mom and say, mom, talk to dad. I need 20 bucks for this. And it was much more likely to work that way. In the same way, the Roman Catholics are taught, approach Mary who will plead on your behalf. And Luther said, do you need anybody to plead on your behalf? There is one mediator between God and man, the man God Christ Jesus. The Bible verse, pay attention. So should we pray to the saints? No. Do the saints pray for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a Bible verse, again. Um, good, but I pray for you too, and I'm a saint. The question is, do the saints' prayers in heaven move God to act, or does Christ's sacrifice on the cross move God to act? In the same way, do the saints' prayers on earth move God to act, or does God's sacrifice upon the cross move God to act? If you're willing to say one, you better be willing to say the other. I know we get real uncomfortable because the first thing that we try to do whenever something bad happens is we go and collect our posse and we say, I need you to do what for me? Pray for me. I need like 50 people to pray for me for this one. If it's real bad, I'll get 100. If it's terrible, I'm going to approach the internet because the strangers that I met online, um, my, my aunt's third cousin that I met at a party once, I'm sure that she loves me more than God does because she's willing to pray for me for like two seconds, but God won't just fix it even though it would take him less than that. Is that what you believe? So why do we need the prayers of the saints on earth? I'm not questioning that they do pray for you or even that they should pray for you. Because we're all one body and we're in this thing together. And so we all seek comfort together even as the saints in heaven seek comfort. The saints in heaven are a lot closer to it than we are. Fine, they see it face to face. But at the end of the day, if you're willing to say either we trade on Christ's sacrifice or we trade on our prayers, which one is it? As Lutherans, we say Christ's sacrifice. And this was always where Luther started to hold all saints' day at arm's length. And we as, as Lutherans have cozied up to the Protestants and we sort of tried to skip the saints in heaven but do the very same thing to the saints on earth. It's a weird thing that we've done. We say, I, I don't need this, the prayers of the saints in heaven who are clearly at the very ear of God. 
But you know what? If I don't have at least 50 people praying for me, God's not going to help me. Really? (laughs) Did he not die for you? Maybe let's start there and recognize that, of course, the saints, all the saints in heaven and on earth could, should, and do pray for you. But maybe it's because we actually want comfort from the very same God who has promised to save us. What do you think? This is one we actually say Luther's might be wrong on. Um, not that that is um, critique of, of how the Roman Catholic Church was treating the saints at that time. Um, it was off base. But, but largely in that um, if you're actually willing to start with a biblical definition of what a saint is, it's a wonderful and blessed day and should always be remembered and celebrated. Um, what's a saint according to the scriptures? One who is baptized, that's how you get to be there. Can we st- the word saint means holy one. That's what the saint means. Saint is holy. So are you holy? How do you know this? Because you're baptized. Does Paul, go ahead. Oh, I'm going to start with the fact that you're holy. Because any righteousness you have comes from wearing holiness. Like, it's like my little league coach told me. You remember what my little league coach told me? Did I ever tell you that? You can't polish a turd. That's what he told me. Now go sit in the outfield. Try to pay attention. Um, like, there's only so much practice that was ever going to get me good at baseball. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I tried. Sometimes I tried. A lot of times I played around in the outfield and I spun around and played with the grass. Um, attention span has always been a, a rough go for me. Um, but, but eventually he just says, look, you know, you're never going to be a first baseman. You're never going to be a slugger. There's only so much we can do. In the same way, how much righteousness is going to come from somebody so sinful? You have to be holy, as key is holy. And so we say put on holiness, and from holiness does come righteousness and good deeds. You are holy because God has made you that way. He baptized you. Um, and so this is our, our um, first reading, the, the one we'll be preaching on. Let's go Revelation chapter 7, 9 to 17. Revelation 7, 9 to 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is one of those good ones. You could do this one at my funeral, and I wouldn't be mad at you. Wouldn't even haunt you. Um... Who are these clothed in white robes? Good. You. When? Yeah, baptism. We actually recognize the tense of this. I can say, yes, God will wipe away every tear from my eye. I can say they are in this last great day before the throne of the Lamb. But when have they put on white robes, washed in the blood of the Lamb? 
It's already done. And it's continuing forward with a fact. They are baptized. And so it's the same thing. Annika, you either have practiced or you haven't. But at this point in time, if you're coming in blind, is, is it going to go well? No. So you're either ready or you're not. There's no, the present tense is determined by the past. But because you practice and you do want, you're going to do amazing. It's going to be fantastic. Um, <laughs> because you, you have practiced. You are baptized. You have been clothed in the robes of the lamb, washed clean in his blood. So who are the saints? We start this way. The baptized. You. Me. This is how we start to go forward with this day. We remember the baptized. The holy ones. Those who rest in faith. And Paul talks this way too. He opens his letters addressing the saints in churches. Even as he collects funds for helping the poor. Which means even those on earth those who have not yet died, those who have not yet rested, those who have not yet even been judged by a tribunal, are called saints. Saints are not just those who are gone. They are those who have faith. And that changes the tense of the, about those, the way that we talk about those who we love. First of all, I mean, obviously, we don't stop being people and turn into angels. We, we don't. I understand the, you know, the intent behind that, that talk. I, and I'm not trying to throw rocks. Um, but the joy of sainthood is that there's something that carries forward, not something that goes, stops, and then turns into something completely different. We can talk about the saints in the present tense still. Are the saints, the saints still with us in the communion of the saints? Yes. Right now. Different? Same. Complete, maybe, but yeah, it's the same people, right? And, I mean, you see this even as, as um, John has shown, this great multitude that no one can number from every nation and tribe and people. The, the thing that unites them is, is what? They're clothed in the blood of the Lamb. They're clothed in the white robes. All the people from all the nations and tribes and languages have this. But at the same time, are they distinct, even wearing the same robes? How do you know they're from many nations if they're not distinct? How do you know they have different languages if they're not distinct? Are they still them? The joy of All Saints Day is it lets us talk about the, the reality that, that um, those who rest from their labors are alive in Christ, which means we don't have to talk about them purely in the past tense. It, it means that there is something that, that joins us together that death itself cannot destroy. So that when we talk about All Saints... We don't just then talk about those who have done great works, but we talk about the fact that there's enough wrong with this world that when we face it, we face it in the hope that even if this world were to fall apart, that would not be enough to tear us from Christ, and so that would not be enough to tear us from each other. Are you kind of with me here? Questions? So then when we talk about how this plays out. All Saints Day really calls attention to it. Um, but at the same time, we, we get to talk about um, the fact that this happens all the time here. Um, what does the word foretaste mean when we talk about it here? Good. Yeah, we talk about this as if it's actually a, a foretaste of, of heaven. Um, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God has did from his. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one um, would fall from the same sort of disobedience. We talk about Sabbath rest. And so when we talk about the Sabbath day where we rest, do we just mean don't work? If we're talking about this as a foretaste of, of heaven itself. Good. You went right to my catechism. Thank you. We remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, and so we're not going to keep it holy by watching TV. We're going to keep it holy by being about holy things. So we go to church. We receive God's gifts. We hear his word. Wonderful. And that's right there where we are joined to the foretaste of heaven. Because if you want to talk about heaven, heaven is not just all of your idols come true. It's where God is to give you rest. And so um, it, it changes talk of heaven a little bit. Because some of the things that I love the most in this world right now are sinful. Will my heaven be that? No. It'll be a freedom from loving that which is evil and destructive. There will be stuff to do. Um, we talk about the last day. As if there is vocation. Revelation talks about farmers in the last day. Talks about cities too. Um, it, it talks about a, a people who have um, lived together in, in society, in communion with one another. There, there is vocation. Um, but at the same time, if you only want to base heaven on the fact that these are the things that I hate doing and these are the things that I love doing, and so whenever I die, it's that I finally get to stop doing the things I hate doing and start doing the things that I love doing. Um, you guys treat retirement like that too, but I've seen people retire and not quite be happy. I'm serious. Like, I talk about it too. I can't wait till I, I get to retire so I never have to go to a meeting again. I might volunteer to preach now and then. And uh, I had somebody tell me, you know, it's, it's a wonderful experience. You go in and nobody's ever mad at you. You just, you preach the good word, you're thanked for it, and you get to go home. Um, and that's the extent of it. And that sounds fantastic. Uh, sign me up for that. Um, but at the same time, um, I also recognize that, that even as we, we struggle, we do so because God stuck us together. And that, that's not a bad thing. And if you want to only clothe heaven as, as avoiding all the things I hate, well, sooner or later, I'm going to have to deal with the fact that sometimes I hate the things I hate because I'm sinful. Sometimes I, I, I hate reading to my kids because I'd rather look at my phone. And that makes me a big sinner. And I should repent of that. And I guarantee you, heaven is not me avoiding those whom I have been given to love by God so that I can stare at a screen. I guarantee you. You kind of see what I'm talking about? When we talk about Sabbath rest, we talk about being near Christ. We talk about even then having our will reflected in his will. So who are these who rest from their labors? They rest as Christ rested. They are brought through death and unto life. They rejoice at the marriage feast of the Lamb. Even here, even now, we receive a foretaste of that. And so, when we talk about worship then, we also again set aside our idols. In other words, worship isn't shaped about how can it most closely reflect the things I love doing the most. So worship then isn't ever, let's meet at the lake and I'll go fishing. It's just, it's not. And it won't be. I know some of you love fishing. Great, go fishing after church. Fine, go fishing Saturday. Great. Skip work if you want. But if you want to come to church, church will be about godly things, not your things. And in the same way, the music is a reflection of this as well. 
we sing hymns that teach what we believe and tie us to something bigger than ourselves. We don't do country here, because I hate country. And I know most of you like it. That means that you're wrong, but um, <laughs> it, it, it also... <laughs> I, I know I'm in the wrong part of the world, but I'm in the right church. Um, and, and that's the point. <laughs> um, I'm in the right church because what we sing about is not my will, and it's not your will, it's God's will. What we, we gather around here is not just the, the select few who can get along and like each other, but it's just all the saints of heaven. Are you kind of with me on this? Questions or comments here? So, when we, when we talk about this, I want to go Luke 23, 39. Luke 23, 39. How are we doing on time? We're doing okay. Luke 23, starting at verse uh, 39, yeah. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I will be with or truly you will be with me in paradise. Now it was the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and when the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. And all of the acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Um, when Jesus promises this man will be with him today in paradise, what does he mean? Same day, yeah. What does he mean? Yeah, he'll be saved. But he deserved his crimes. He deserves his punishment. What's going on? Oh, his faith saved him. He turned to Jesus in help, or for help, and in faith, he was tied through death to resurrection. When we talk about All Saints Day, it talks about sainthood for sinners. It also talks about tribulation and suffering for sinners. I, I love All Saints Day so much because it actually lets us tell the truth about the world as it is, not just as we see it. So if I only want to go based on what I see, does that thief on the cross deserve to die? I mean, he says it himself. If we only got to go based on what we see, is this world a pretty dark place sometimes? Deeply unfair. A lot to worry about. A lot to be afraid of. Yes. All Saints Day says, you are holy. And those who are holy rest from their labors. You will be brought through death unto life. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Not just that, that you have to hurry up and die, but that you've already died in the waters of your baptism. You already have put on the robes of, of righteousness. And so paradise is put right there on that altar for you. Week after week. And we can take all of our death and all of our sin and all of our suffering and lay it down right here and know God bears it for us. God carries us through it. 
when we talk about all saints, it, it lets us then tell the truth about those who we, we love and lay to rest too. Um, we'll do this and then we'll stop. That way choir can kind of get going. Um, when we talk about All Saints Day then, uh, we get to, to be a lot more honest about those who we love and lay to rest. There's this, this saying where you, you never speak ill of the dead. Why? Well, we're not supposed to judge, but you can still know when people do bad things, right? It's not your job to judge. But when you say it's not our job to judge, what do you mean by judge? Okay, let's start there then. Because here's the thing. When, when this gets tossed around, you know, you're, you're not allowed to judge somebody. You're, you're not allowed to judge, but the judge doesn't determine right and wrong. The judge determines sentencing. Or at least how it's supposed to be. I, I realize that in this day and age, our Supreme Court is the only place we look to to determine right and wrong, but that was actually supposed to be the legislative branch. Um, when, when we talk about the, the judge, he's the one who says, you're guilty or you're not guilty. Not, do you have a good reason? Not, was it right or was it wrong? You're allowed to say, if, um, you're allowed to say, Pastor Goodman was a sinner. That's not wrong, is it? Is that judging me? That's telling the truth. You're even allowed to go into specifics. You say, Pastor Goodman was lazy. Pastor Goodman had a filthy mouth. Pastor Goodman, and lay out just all the sins. And they don't stop being wrong because you love me, do they? No, at the same time, we don't judge. We say, Christ was um, the one who is to judge, and he says, those sins were already atoned for. And so we can say two things at the same time. One, right and wrong don't ever stop being right and wrong. But two, sinners can be loved by God and by other sinners. So when we, when we talk about the dead, we don't have to talk about them um, afraid of ever saying something bad because we're afraid that somehow kicks them out of heaven, afraid it makes it less worthy of love. Because they were judged holy if they were baptized. They were judged holy by faith. We, we look to those things to call them good. At the same time, we're not afraid then of, of telling the truth. There's this thing that we're afraid to do where we, we do two things at the same time. One, we either um, we refuse to say anything ill of those who have, have gone before us because we, we just don't want to tarnish the memory. But you say that as if they're gone and you'll never see them again and that memory is all you have. Is that true? So don't be afraid to actually love them. And two, that doesn't also mean just harp on the bad things, because did they, um, in faith, if they had faith, would they have done good works? You're allowed to rejoice in those. We rejoice in St. Peter and St. John and St. Paul, not because they did such, um, not because they weren't sinners, but because God, through them, did great good, good works. We call this St. Paul Lutheran Church. Does Paul save you? No. Did Paul sin? Why do we name this church St. Paul? He's worth remembering. He did great things. God worked good through him. He served his neighbors. He lived in his vocation. He's a saint. In the same way, we get to talk about our own loved ones this way. And that's not a bad thing either. We get to say, look, yes, of course they were sinners. Yes, of course there was things about them that, 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 that were struggles at the time. The, the great joy is we've been brought beyond those struggles and we get to rejoice in the fact God did, good do, God did do good works through them. And we will see them again. And they are to be remembered in, in joy and hope because they're alive in Christ. Are you kind of with me in this? Sure.
Mm. Good. Okay, good. So um, we're told in the Eighth Commandment that we're supposed to put the best construction on things. Um, we're not supposed to put the best construction on sin. We're supposed to put the best construction on a sinner. And so we're allowed to then look at each other and say, look, that thing you did was wrong. But putting the best construction on it, I'm not going to say your whole life is this and you are evil and you twisted a mustache as you did it, but maybe look at your background and say, look at the situation you were in that, that brought you to this. Can I love you even in spite of this? And so um, we can do this then um, with uh, my poor attention span. Um, because my wife is, is very good at this. Um, she always puts the best construction on my, my awful, awful attention span. Um, she is a blessed saint uh, who God does good works through. Um, is it good or bad that I'd manage to tune things out and forget so quickly? It's bad. Now, when my wife deals with me, she at the same time, well, never thrilled that I stopped paying attention just at the drop of a hat always manage to say, all right, I understand that we call this thing ADHD. I understand that, that maybe he's thinking about work. Maybe he's got a lot going on. And I'm going to do my best to love him, even in spite of the fact that he's an idiot. Um, we never want to put good construction on sin, because God calls it evil. But God calls you holy, even when you're doing the sin. So we put good construction on sinners, not on, on sin. Um, that's that whole, I, I mean, you can say it's, it's pedantic, but you can say, you know, we love the sinner, we hate the sin. Um, it's the same thing. We, we actually try and walk in somebody else's shoes for a little bit. Perfect. Perfect. That's magnificent. Yeah. So the, the scriptures don't hide the sins of, of the characters in them. David's sin is, is very much told um, bluntly, but we're also told, call David a saint, love him. He is resting from his labors. Right. And it's not that we're going to say it's, it's okay to commit adultery and murder, ever. But, but we are going to say, um, you, you know, yes, this was his weakness, but, but he's forgiven and we love him. Good. I like that. Let's stop there. I can't top that. Uh, let's pray. <laughs> Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much. All right, choir, we're meeting.